This conversation with the traditionalist architect Kamal Khan Mumtaz could be taken as the gentlest sort of introduction into a revival in Pakistan of Islamic thinking about art and design and meaning. It's number 17 in an audio series we're calling Another Pakistan, recorded in midsummer 2011. It's a co-production of the Watson Institute at Brown University and the Asia Society. I'm Christopher Leiden in Lahore with Kamal Khan Mumtaz. For almost 50 years, he has taught and practiced architecture on a path that has taken him out of international modernism, back to tradition in his design ideas, a path out of secularism, deep into his own grasp of Muslim faith. This is open source from the Watson Institute at Brown University, an American conversation absorbing Pakistani attitudes this summer of 2011. Kamal Khan Mumtaz, it's a great privilege to meet you, and especially on this screened-in terrace full of green plants on a beautiful Lahore brick floor. Something wonderfully right is present out there. We'll come back to that. I'm interested in both of the paths that we speak of in your life. I mean, the work and the life itself, inner and outer. But maybe you'd start with introducing your architecture from boyhood. Oh, well, uh, from uh, as a young boy, uh, I wanted to be either a painter or a nuclear physicist. (laughs) And so I had good advice from my teachers and father who said, why don't you combine these two in architecture? (laughs) So I thought that was a great idea. So that set me off on to uh, this path of architecture. At that time, this is 1957, there were no so-called academic schools of architecture uh, available in Pakistan. And so I had to go abroad. I studied in England, in London, at the Architectural Association. And uh, that was uh, the heyday of uh, modernism. And so completely swept up by the modernist philosophy, um, but particularly its idealism. Remind me who were the superstars and the super buildings, you know, when you got to London? Uh, yes, of course. Uh, Le Corbusier, uh, Frank Lloyd Wright, uh, Mies van der Rohe. Mm. Uh, these were the stars for us, uh, the kind of role models, the kind of work that we thought we wanted to do. But uh, coming from uh, a third world developing country, uh, we had uh, also very deep concerns about uh, the national independence, uh, the post-colonial state and that kind of thing. And so um, naturally I was very keen to get back to Pakistan, uh, fired up with the desire to bring about change in our society. Um, but uh, And so, in a way, uh, the, the modern architecture was very much part of that project. And so what happened over 40 years in, in your design ideas? And then we'll get to the inner man. Yes, well, as I, uh, I've often s- uh, told, because I'm often asked this question, it's really a, a, a difference in wh- worldview. 
what do we believe is the world what is reality and the modernist world view is rooted in the materialist philosophy uh that is that uh, the the primary uh reality is the material and our thoughts and ideas are reflections or products of that material reality in the mind the traditional world view uh, recognizes the material world as a reality but also recognizes other realities beyond um the metaphysical plane the spiritual plane and that what we experience in the world of time and space is a projection or a reflection of what is uh, the origins of which is in the spiritual uh, world of archetypes through mm-hmm. the world of ideas and so so it is a complete inversion and you cannot uh have a sort of re- resolution you can't have a partly modern partly traditional you can't mm. you ca- there's no mid middle way between these two positions give us two examples of buildings modern traditional to think about to well this building that we are in was built at the time where i did not know much about traditional architecture mm. and so it was completely uh inspired by motivated by the modernist concerns of function climate available materials available technology and so on um as opposed to this uh, you uh, must have everyone has been to the taj mahal for example it is the best no um and if you want a sort of mental image well think of any mies van der rohe is a very good example mm. for very purest modernist buildings or for example uh, frank lloyd wright or le corbusier the the modern movement is well well known a traditional again we all familiar with buildings like the taj mahal the fort here the mosque you know, in fact any building be it a small private residence or an emperor's palace these are all rooted in a common world view it's interesting that as you were having all these epiphanies india right across the border is building a new capital of the punjab in Chandigarh. Chandigarh. And Le Corbusier was designing it. Yes. Yes. I mean was this was this in your head at the moment? Well, we were all very much inspired uh, by what uh, Le Corbusier was doing in India. Uh, Chandigarh was uh, a huge uh, role model for all of uh, mm. uh, architects of my generation and we would have loved to do something like that. Was he struggling with these same differences? He wasn't struggling with these differences. because like all the great modernists they were absolutely convinced about the veracity the the soundness of their logic mm. but le corbusier was a great architect and he actually studied uh islamic architecture a lot his travels in turkey in north africa and took notes mm. but all the time you see the modernist looks at history from a different pair of glasses is trying to find the 
justification or the substantiation of proof of his theory hmm. in the traditional historical examples. Meantime, you're designing buildings and learning the hard way about what works and doesn't work. Yes, it was a very difficult journey, I can assure you. We had no material from which we could learn. There were no, still aren't, and hardly any uh, textbooks from which we could study the traditional theory and principles of design. So we literally had to uh, go out into the field, document the monuments, study them, analyze them, look at them from the point of history, literally construct mm. a history of architecture for Pakistan. And in the process, of course, we did learn a great deal. It's been a very exciting and very rewarding quest. And more and more, we began to understand uh, that there is this radically different philosophical basis. And within that framework, there are two very important uh, principles. One is, of course, to do with proportion. And the other, which is less uh, appreciated, is the importance of ideal forms. And therefore, the importance of copying. Uh, so, uh, these things... And then you begin to understand these things intellectually, but it's a completely another thing to sit down, put pencil to paper... Yeah. And you, your mind knows what you should be doing, but the hand refuses to <laughs> do it. And the conditioning, the brainwashing, is so strong. We must not imitate, we must not copy. I've got to invent something my own, I've got to innovate, create. That compulsion is so overpowering. What was the goal? What was the definition of victory? so to speak, that you were being taught and that you discovered differently, you know, in what was here? Well, this was a hurdle that I gradually became to identify more and more, that here is a barrier I just can't get over. And um, finally, the opening was provided for me by my sheikh, my mentor, my teacher, my spiritual guide, with whom I discussed this problem. Hmm. Uh, the, the problem that the compulsion to do something which is of this time. Mm. And he said, well, whatever you do is of this time. Mm. And secondly, what is of this time? And of course, one immediately thinks of atom bombs and IT revolutions and technology, all these horrors of the modern age. Mm. And then, but he says, but there are also the books of René Guénon and Fritjof Schwann. And, uh, so it, which do you want to reflect in your work? And that really, for me, removed the last barrier. I recognized that what the barrier was, was my own ego. And once I'd understood that, then it's been relatively smoother sailing since then. Interesting. What were the measures of success that they were trying to teach you 
in London. And what were the measures of success that you found were meant more? Um, it's difficult to define what one would consider or did consider at the time as a measure of success other than um, acceptability, making an impact, making a difference, uh, getting recognized for one's genius. and uh, But once you recognize that all of that hmm. is really an ego trip, and once you remove that as an ambition, as a driving force, everything is calm and peaceful and lovely, beautiful. Because what you're seeking is not from you. You are simply opening yourself to become a vehicle. And what is flowing from your hands is merely a gift, a blessing mm. from Allah Ta'ala. One can only be thankful for it. Mm. And when I am certainly as amazed and surprised to see what results as anyone else. Mm. It always se it seems as if I have nothing to do. It's, there's a kind of distance and objectivity. I see those buildings that I'm doing now as simply buildings, not my buildings. Mm. Describe the buildings that you were making. Not only the, not only what you were learning about design, but about the way buildings work. Yeah, there's uh, of course several levels at which the work that we're doing we consider very relevant to our time. And uh, amongst other things, or probably above everything else, is the, the global crisis of environment, of depletion of resources, of the uh, energy uh, depletion, and so on. Traditional buildings are, of course, much more energy efficient. So at that level what we're doing is extremely relevant and timely. Uh, and then they're very low cost. And particularly, not being dependent on imported materials and technology. Mm. Uh, foreign exchange, which we don't have. Um, so, but then, of course, ultimately, there's a difference between building and architecture. And the difference is in the content, the message. What is the building saying? That is really the most important part, the message. The modern buildings, and particularly postmodern buildings, are just uh, enraptured by the technology, man's ability to solve problems, it's, it's all excitement. Mm. And encouraging us. They're like huge, big billboards saying, go on, go for it, have it. You, you deserve it. <laughs> Spoil yourself. Get the latest model of this, that, and the other. It's consumerism. Mm. Whereas uh, the traditional buildings, and invariably people who have uh, experienced our buildings, uh, one of the most common reactions is 
the sense of peace that they experience, calmness. Mm. So it suddenly sets you into a totally different dimension. Uh, you, you really, and you, if you would visit some of these buildings, just observe people walking, and there's suddenly a hush and a quiet and wonderment. What is this? Kamal Khan, I should be testifying to this. I mean, this is only my second visit to your house, which you built yourself, but it's mysterious. But it does immediately strike one that you've entered a place of humanness, a proportion of peace, of calm, of thoughtfulness. You speak of this as your modern period. Yes. I would have said it's, it's hard to place. It's hard to see the hand of the designer because it feels, it feels like exactly what I would have dreamed last night as a kind of perfect home for my, my family, my books, my life yeah. in, a, in a sound measure. Yeah. I mean, you, let me just confirm you're onto something. Thank you. <laughs> um, you're, you're right about the timelessness quality of traditional buildings. And as I say, the reason why perhaps it comes through even in this building, of course, this has evolved and changed over time also. Hmm. So there is literally, uh, you can't say particularly when this was built because it's built over 30 years. But um, uh, it, it does, I think, have some of that quality which is a marked quality of traditional buildings. Mm. Uh, a certain presence, a timelessness, a mm. universality. These are qualities that will strike even uh, the least spiritual of persons. And it's only because the spirit is in all of us. Interesting. Even though we deny it. Kamil Khan, I want to hear about the spiritual pilgrimage that's sort of wrapped in and around this whole architectural and design search over the last 30, 40, 50 years. Yes. Can you pull that strand out and talk about it? Especially because the world is fascinated by and scared of Islamic thinking. You've been deep into it and found your own way. I'd love to hear about it. Um. Well, uh, what you're referring to is another journey that goes in parallel, and that is a, a spiritual journey. Now, you cannot practice traditional art or architecture without it, well, without a conviction in, in the truth of what this is based on. You, you'd be fooling yourself. It's, it'll be fake, and it'll show. Believe me. Mm. So there has to be a firm, rooted faith and belief in the truths on which traditional art and architecture is built. And so that cannot fail to affect literally your whole life. And it has transformed my life. I, I wonder, I mean, could you test and try out this thinking in buildings that you knew? Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, I've said we've been studying buildings and, of course, documenting, analyzing. And, for instance, we find that in the Vizier Khan's mosque, which is one of the best-known beautiful mosques right in the heart of the city, uh, literally what it is trying to say, the message, is literally written on the walls. Mm. And we don't bother to read what is written. 
So I did that. And from the beginning, it tells you, addressing us in the bazaar, in the street, as, oh, peasant, lay a good foundation in this world, because what you will sow in this, you will reap in the next, and that this gate is the gate of God's bounty. Mm. And for those who turn towards the Kaaba, to God. So it's very clear and it's beautiful, you can understand. Uh, these buildings are telling us something. Kamakan, could I ask, is there, an, is there a name for what you've come to bank on and believe in? Is there a community associated with it? Well, uh, in the broadest sense, it is spirituality. And spirituality exists in all the religions, in all traditions. And this Islamic, within Islam, the, the spiritual core, the center, is known as Sufism. Hmm. But the Sufis call themselves as the fuqara, the poor, the, the faqir, hmm. uh, or the seeker, or it is the path of love, or the path to the garden of beauty, or the path of truth. So it is called the path, tariqa. Mm. So uh, Sufism has become a very common term, but uh, it's not always... <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's become a favorite term in the West, too. It's associated with an aesthetic practice, a poetic tradition, a gentleness above all and peace. It's also, I, I'd have to say, discounted as a kind of Islam light. Yes. Kind of Islam for export. Right. Islam that New Yorkers can <laughs> acknowledge, check off. You yeah, sleep at night. Yeah, yeah. Um, round out your, your sense of it. No, I perfectly understand <laughs> what you call Islam light, yes. Um, Sufi dancing, <laughs> Madonna singing, uh, Rumi, yeah. uh, suddenly become the most popular poet. Uh, but no, it's, uh, it's not about uh, sensual uh, experiences. It's about profound searching for the truth and the truth more and more is the unity of all creation mm. the oneness of all creation the oneness of mankind so mm. that is I would say the, the most important aspect place the other big themes in their right context including love and beauty well uh Love, you'll find, as in most religions, but especially in Islam, it uh, and beauty. I would um, say that the two distinctive, distinguishing characteristics of Islam, after all, as I say, there is an essential unity of all religions, but there is also an outer formal a difference. Uh, the unique thing about Islam is tolerance hmm. and beauty. No other religion, to my knowledge, requires as an article of faith to recognize the truth of all religions. Explicitly. 
explicitly. In the Quran? In the Quran again and again and again. Do you want to quote it? Surely. It Amantu Billahi wa Malaikatihi wa Kutubihi wa Rusulihi. We believe in Allah and His angels and His books, plural, and His prophets, His messengers, plural. Mm. And the prophets are mentioned by name and throughout. It is, it's full of this message. Including the Hebrew prophets. Absolutely. And of course Jesus. Of course. We didn't come to your house, even to Pakistan, to talk politics particularly. But I have to ask you, you've been on a hugely absorbing path, professionally, personally. And Pakistan's been on a path through the same history. I'm, can you look, in summary, from your path to Pakistan's path and, and remark on where we're all going? We're all going to hell. <laughs> um, no, it's pretty, pretty sad the way all of the world is going. Uh, Sadder than the 19th century or the 13th oh, or the... Where we're at now has no comparison. Um, and, and, and it's all, everyone knows it. I mean, uh, what we're doing to the environment, the, every 25 minutes, one form of life going extinct. Not just that, every fortnight, one language going extinct. And can you imagine the embedded wisdom that we lose? So we're destroying ourselves with our own hands. And uh, we now the frightening thing is that we have the means to literally blow ourselves up. Mm. And couple that with the postmodernist philosophy of there is no absolute truth. So if there is no absolute truth, there is no right and wrong. What is right for you may not be for me. Mm. Do you know what that means? You're removing all moral restraint. Mm. Now combine these two and you've got a real killer. Mm. Be a little more narrow about Pakistan itself. 64 years old as a country, still enormously unequal in terms of privilege and power. Yes. Under despotism more often than enlightened democracy most of these years. Always in a kind of tight marriage with Uncle Sam. Yes. Uh, What's your capsule understanding of where this country has gone and is going? Yes. Um, Where it's coming from. Pakistan was a modernizing project. The very idea of a nation state is a modern idea. And we were so... See, it begins with the deluge, the overrunning, the you know, just road roller that went over us, that is Western colonialism. Hmm. And we were just knocked out of our senses. What, what hit us? Hmm. And, um, and so there is anger in the street. Anger against, of course, the West 
which just bulldozed us. And remember, we, the Muslims, identified ourselves as one people. Mm. And we were the superpower. So there is anger against the Western modernizing forces for having replaced us as the dominant power. Mm. Anger against our own brother Muslims for having strayed from the true path. Anger at our state for having lied to us and not delivered what it promised to do. So there are all of these um, angers, rages, which are now finding expression. Mm. Kamal Khan Mumtaz, I knew the moment I stepped into this house that we were entering a very special place. And every word you say and every, every hour with you has confirmed it. Thank you. Thank you for sharing so much with us. We'd love to come back. You'll be welcome. Thank you very much. Ben Mandelkern produced and edited this conversation in Lahore with the architect Kamal Khan Mumtaz. Our series, Another Pakistan, is a co-production of the Watson Institute and the Asia Society. Zarmina Ansari is our producer in Pakistan. Thanks also to Bina Sarwar of the Aman Ki Asha peace effort between Pakistan and India. The conversations continue from South Asia and also online. Listeners, please feedback your views, your Pakistan, with a comment on our website, radioopensource.org. I'm Christopher Leighton. Thank you for being part of the Open Source Conversation. <laughs>